everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we won an ACC game by a lot week. Happy existential dread is over week, at least briefly. We, we are probably not the worst team in the ACC. And that was like a legit concern. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, yeah, in the reality we currently live in, that was a legit concern. Um, I, I was, I was terrified following the Iowa game, not because like, like it wasn't because of Iowa specifically. It was just because of how for the third straight game, we really seemed like outmatched, outcoached, um, just didn't really have much going on. And then it, as is typical of the entire Bayheim era, uh, just when you think that, you know, what you're talking about with the Syracuse team, they proceed to, you know, lay waste to what was considered a pretty good, uh, defensive team in, in Georgia tech. Yeah, entering the season, obviously, we thought this team would be more predicated on three-point shooting than it has been probably 15 or so. Um, and, I mean, that seems to be the case, but uh, probably even more drastically than we thought. Like, the team didn't have, like, a crazy, crazy shooting day. had a really good shooting day and, like, absolutely destroyed Georgia Tech, where, like, I think they hadn't really shot the ball super well, you know, in, in a couple weeks before that. So... Um, I mean, there's good and bad there. It's like you can take down a team when you have Hughes and Bayheim go off like they did, but like it's still asking a lot for them to go and shoot as a duo uh, most nights. Granted, you might get some other contributions here and there, but yeah, it's it's uh, you can definitely like. Obviously, it was nice to get the win and nice to get the win by like so much and so comfortably after some bad games, and hopefully, there's more of that. But like, it's there. There are sustainability questions, I think. Yeah, that's always a tough part. Like what we've seen so far and then like see a game like this, is this the outlier? Like, you know, 97 point outbreak seems like an outlier based on anything we've seen from Syracuse in the last few years. Um, the only exception maybe being like swaths of the uh, the 2016-17 season when they weren't playing much defense for at least half the season and were relying on, you know, just on Andrew White um, and, and company just putting up a lot of points. I think this team... Um, has some semblance of a defense, but I wouldn't call it top 40. Um, and then, which is, you know, going to be a, an adjustment for this team. And then I think the offense, um, you know, is one that is reliant on threes, but cannot rely on those threes to fall all the time. And, and it seems like they'll have stretches where everybody goes cold. I mean, like you said, it's hard to know what exactly is sustainable here. I don't think expecting, you know, Elijah Hughes and Buddy Beheim to go a combined uh, 12 of 24 from three is really the sort of thing that, like, we should bank on. Um, just like I don't think going 25 to 30 from the line is something we should bank on. But, you know, maybe if they uh, digress a little bit, you know, maybe you don't have uh, – maybe you have Joe Girard hit one more. Maybe, you know, Merrick Dolajai hits one. Maybe somebody else from uh, the bench hits one. I mean, what what this game exposed to us a little bit, like while Howard Washington did uh, dish out eight assists, which is awesome, um, is that we're very quickly moving to a, like, five- to six-man rotation. And I don't love that um, because I thought this team was deeper. I think a lot of people thought this team was deeper. And it seems like we've it seems like the rotation's already done, and that's uh, that's concerning. Um, for the long-term durability of these guys, especially with such a young squad and guys that haven't necessarily played, you know, that the, the, the pure number of minutes and the pure number of games that they're going to have to play here. Yeah, you make a good point. Like, uh, so much of this game was predicated on Hughes and Bayheim combining for almost 60 points that, like, it, it, it leaves a lot of room for improvement elsewhere, even with, like, the 97-point outburst. Obviously, we've seen Gerard have better shooting games. We've, uh, Marek had a really nice day, but, like, we've seen more from him. Um Sidibe had, you know, didn't have games. He had a, you know, solid five and eight, which I think five steals, weirdly, um, which I think we take a lot of nights, but like we know he can do more. Darier didn't store. Braswell didn't play that much and didn't do much. Like there was a, there were a lot of, there was room for a lot of other guys to chip in more, um, which is hopefully where you make up that, that kind of deficit and when this team gets more well rounded. But, but as you said, um, I think the fact that like only two guys off the bench got, you know, even more than 10 minutes. Uh, kind of points to this potentially being a locked-in rotation, even though, like, I'd love to see... I think we'd all like to see more uh, Robert Braswell. He just hasn't gotten a great shot this year. I think we've all, we'd have all we all like to see more Jesse Edwards, who I think has looked, like, really impressive every time he's gotten uh, a decent amount of time. Um, 
Bryson Dunning like seems to have fallen behind Howard Washington, but like I think both of them deserve at least more extended looks. So obviously we have Georgetown coming up, but hopefully in like the Oakland and UNF games and Niagara games, we can start to see a little bit more from them before we get into the actual ACC schedule here and and maybe get a bit more than the you know six and a half or seven man rotation at most that Beheim so often falls to, especially because like in that seven guys, there are like four unproven guys. So it's, it's not like, uh, it's not like, you know, who your seven are and you can just roll out there and feel good about it. Like Chris Joseph and Steve Jardine are coming off the bench. It's, it's a much different situation this year. Yeah. And I mean, this is where kind of, you know, Bayheim switches thinking a little bit over the years and, and maybe it's not a conscious thing, but you know, seeing, <coughs> excuse me, maybe seeing like where in previous years, like in, and you know, those kind of Chris Joseph teams you're talking about, like back into the mid mid aughts to like 2014 where a guy who maybe wasn't quote unquote ready was still able to grab minutes um, and, and play through some struggles in part because Syracuse was better. There was more garbage time available to them. Uh, they were a more talented player coming out of high school. Um, so there was less polish that needed to be applied now uh, with maybe not the same caliber of player. And it's not to say it's been a huge, huge, um, you know, step back with recruiting. I don't want to feed that, um, narrative just yet, even though, yes, there has been a decline in recruiting uh, quality, especially since Hopkins left. Like those players were allowed to go out there, make mistakes, get better, figure it out. Now, this year, um, you know, those players are quickly being relegated to, you know, a bench role that they can't necessarily recover from. Like Howard Washington's outbreak was great. It was awesome to see him get eight assists at the same time, only two points. Um, I don't think we can necessarily sustain something like that where, you know, there's an, an, another non-scoring player on the court um, for SU and Dolajai can sometimes be like hot and cold on offense. And uh, Sidibe is largely a non-factor on the offensive end um, and is really in there as a body for fouls, for boards. Uh, again, the five steals was, I think, interesting and an anomaly. But yeah, like I, I don't I don't love the shift now that, that stops players from being able to make mistakes and develop. Um, because now what you have is every single season when we lose, you know, a, two guys to graduation and a guy to the draft, we go, you know, oh shit, we have, we now have to hit reset again. Um, and in the past, you wouldn't have to hit reset as much as just have guys who were getting meaningful minutes um, and getting opportunities, even if they weren't, even if they were making some mistakes and telling them, all right, like now your role is elevated. Now you're going from, you know, the third or fourth guy off the bench to, I don't think third, knowing Beheim, but now you're going from the third guy off the bench to the starting small forward, or you're going from the sixth man to the start to the starting shooting guard. Like there, there was a a clearer line towards playing time, and 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 again, one that allowed you to make some mistakes and work through some stuff. And I feel like now um, there's just a much shorter hook, um, and it's it's not doing us any favors long term this year. I don't think uh, again because of the mileage you're going to put on these guys, and it's not going to do us any favors come next year. Uh, if we lose one or two of these guys to the draft or graduation or attrition or whatever. Yeah. As you hinted at too, like with the current you know, kind of college sports, college basketball landscape, you're also heavily risking uh, transfers with, you know, not playing guys. Not, not that I think that they're like, obviously carries embedded about, but we have no idea honestly what's going on there. But like, I don't know that there's like a, an obvious transfer risk, but like if a guy is, is just not going to see the floor at all, like, you know, they take that into their own hands way more than they used to, and rightfully so. Um, and that's a thing that, like, if add on, you know, the NBA taking a flyer on a die year before that they, you think they might have gone normally, uh, which obviously you've had to happen a million times now, uh, and everything else. Like, it's it, it just makes for a bad scholarship situation and makes for a, a, a tough rotation situation, um, especially with how, as we've seen, like, you can add transfer dies too, but it doesn't always work out uh necessarily like some of them have been great some of them uh Gino Thorpe a couple years ago was gone by by Christmas so um you definitely want to try and figure out like something more sustainable something where you're rotating guys in and out and have like a better idea of what you have on a year-to-year basis and we really I mean that's been a problem for us for for you know a long time now going on probably five years um and I think kind of points to some of the struggles that this team has had uh in season over season consistency yeah, I, I, I'm very wary about where things are right now. I mean, I think it kind of speaks to, too, like a lot of the concerns that, you know, were brought up about the Bayheim era uh, after the Iowa game. Now, I'm not going <coughs> to, sorry, I'm not going to like, you know, rehash the entire article I put up 
um, last week after the Iowa game. I know uh, Dave Stone on the site also put together a pretty nice article um, afterward, kind of putting things in perspective. But like Dan, even with the Georgia Tech game in mind, like where are you on? I, I know where you are in terms of the like, you know, n- nobody on the site is is oh at least nobody that writes for the site is on the Fire Bayheim side of things, but. Where are you on the side of like where, how much longer Jim has at this level? Because I'm starting to wonder if the ceiling is really kind of like that, you know, seven, eight seed range now for the next couple of years. And we're going to have to tread some water, stay alive, and then hopefully, you know, hit on the next higher and, and, and ride the upswing. Uh, it's hard not to have like some serious questions just based on how long this like slide you know, obviously buffered by some nice tournament runs in there has been now. It's, I mean, it's been legit since like honestly midway through the 2014 season. Um, and not that I think that's all on J- on Bayheim. Obviously, the NCAA situation definitely hurt or exacerbated things. Hop leaving now hurts things. Um, but like, I mean, I, generally, all of us are, we're all going to be fans after Jayheim, Bayheim leaves. It's over. So, uh, and and I don't think he wants this program to kind of take a slide after he leaves. Like uh, I have of that. So um, obviously, you know, no one's firing Jim Baham. It's just never going to happen. It's just completely unrealistic, barring like a scandal or something that don't think is going on. Um, but I, I think it would. It's it's totally fair to say like, hey, if this season goes that it looked like it was going before the Georgia Tech game and and you know if it ends in NIT or whatever it, and that might be a best case scenario unless we get some big wins down the stretch um I mean I think at, at least you have to see some kind of staff shake up and not that I want to like not that I don't love having like the all Syracuse a cool you know note but like I, I think to fresh blood eyes and figure out some stuff because it, it it's definitely it's hard to argue that it hasn't grown a bit stale here. Um, even if like some years we have an elite defense and some years we have like individual talents who can carry us like Tyus last year. Um, you know, that's not what it was from 2009 to 2013 or, or when, you know, there was so much more success and things were, were rolling along so well and, and looked like, you know, one of the 10 best programs in the country, even though they didn't want a title during that time. Um, yeah, I think it's totally fair to say like something needs to change. Obviously, it doesn't have to be at the top right away, but um, I think Beheim would probably, uh, you know, hopefully he he sees that too and, and doesn't get too stuck in his ways because I don't think that's serving anybody. Yeah, I know in the article, one of the things that I like harped on a lot was just like kind of the lack of adjustments and that was program wise, that was in game, um, just the overall approach. And as much as I loved what I saw from the team um, on Saturday against Georgia Tech, I don't necessarily think anything was adjusted necessarily. Um, I mean, yeah, the defense looked a little bit better. Maybe it was rotating better, but realistically, I I don't think there was a large scale adjustment as much as shots were just being hit. And like, that's the sort of thing where like players, like players were getting open shots and not hitting them necessarily. I know uh, we were talking about synergy sports and the uh, noon slack and Kevin had pointed out, like we're in the bottom 10% in terms of like open jumpers, which is like insane to me. Um, but that's something that can be corrected and it's room for growth. However, like that's not a correction as much as it is just like something getting back to the mean. Um, so like my question for the next few games, like Georgetown included is like, what's actually going to be adjusted. The things that need to be adjusted large scale. I think if this season ends up being more 500 ish, um, and, and we don't, you know, snip an NCAA tournament, which I, right now I, I wouldn't necessarily bank on us making an NCAA tournament run. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. And I really don't even think 10 wins in the ACC is going to cut it just because of our schedule. Um, I think that's a existential conversation for another day, but I I think that like they have to look at the staff and look at uh, recruiting abilities, the ability to close the ability to develop uh, talent, especially, uh, you know, point guard, big man. Uh, I feel like in the last, you know, five, six years in particular, like since hops left, um, we've really seen, you know, that development piece um, go down a lot. I feel like now, like you look at a guy like Quincy Garrier, like who is getting NBA scouts looking at him already. Um, and the fact that we're not really doing much with him and he's not really getting much, much run because he's quote unquote, not ready. Um, I just feel like it's probably going to end up being a squandered season of, of somebody who ends up being, you know, an, an NBA level talent. I hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong about that. Hope I'm wrong about a lot of this stuff, but you know, I, I think that there's got to be 
Jim's going to have a little more flexibility probably. And there probably needs to, needs to be a little bit more pushback um, for him. And maybe there is, maybe there is internally, maybe, you know, these, these assistants are, are trying to come up with new ideas and fresh ideas and they're just not being heard. But like, I, I hope that's not the case too. I, I think that, you know, th- this season's going to be, this season's going to tell us, I think a lot, um, no matter what, like I, I, you can call this a transition season all you want, but like a transition to what, um, I guess like the, the, the next recruiting class looks like it could be solid, um, and could be, you know, top 25 to 30 potential, but like top 25 to 30 talent coming in doesn't necessarily like get SU to where it wants to be and, and needs to be in a lot of fan bases eyes. No, I think that really, you know, barring some, again, like complete 180 on this season, um, I think you're going to have to see some sort of change. Um, even if it's not within the staff, there needs to be some sort of change with the approach um, that the staff takes to a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably underestimate like how spoiled we were to have the staff we did during those like, you know, Halcyon days that we referenced before, like the the Johnny Flynn through the Michael Carter Williams teams where, you know, we had so much regular season success every year. Um, I mean, we had three head coaches on that staff, uh, uh, or on a lot of those staffs anyway. Beheim is obviously rightfully a legend. Mike Hopkins has done an incredible job at Washington. Rob Murphy's done a really nice job at Eastern Michigan. Um, and even before that, like Troy Weaver is kind of, you know, gets a lot of credit for the 03 team. So, um, like, like the, it's always been more than just Beheim there. He's he's historically done a really, really good job of hiring assistants. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so hard in, in basketball because you don't, you don't point to, like, one position group like we do in football and say, like, hey, the offensive line is awful. Uh, Tavanaugh is the offensive line coach. Therefore, you know, it's you can point a lot of blame to him. Like, it's all kind of intermingled, and it's hard to know, like, who's not doing what or who's not pulling weight in what areas. But, um, like, clearly something is, is just not where it was. And, uh, and you know, you don't replace a Mike Hopkins, but you, you have to do something and don't just, like, you know, let things tumble year over year when, when the teams have so many of the same issues, especially offensively. Um, I actually think the defense has looked, like, pretty fine. I think a lot of the defensive, like, issues late in games have been because the offense just – completely collapses and it's hard to keep focused and play the aggressive zone like the entire time when you're not storing and obviously it's the same players so it's not like they can point to each other um but yeah it's just uh it'll be very disheartening if like nothing is overhauled um because like i, I think the recruiting has been fine it's it, 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 it's tailed off a little bit like we're not getting quite the same number of like five-star guys that we were but it wasn't that long ago that we got malachi richardson who was like that type of player and he he left after a year uh, Darius uh, didn't have the same uh, platitudes, mostly I think because he was in Canada. But he's a really high-level player. We have a bunch of four stars coming in next year. Like you can build a rock-solid team over uh, based on those guys, especially if they stay a year or two, or you know, a year or two beyond like the one-and-done thing we've been dealing with so much. But um, yeah, you can't just like say like, oh, we have a decent class coming in. We're just gonna you know throw it out there, and and it's gonna be the same you know struggles to store seventy-five points in a game a lot of nights unless they shoot really hot and, you know, rely on the zone completely team because that it's, it's worked a couple times in the NCAA tournament, but like, I don't think anyone can be particularly happy with any of the regular seasons we've had in five years now. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is all like projecting a little bit, but I do feel like there's a certain amount of, you know, belief in what happened during the NCAA tournament can just be, you know, replicated during the regular season and can turn into this situation where, yeah, well, like the zone can just will people to what we want. And like, I think that's still happened here and there in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it means some good coaches can fall victim to it. Tom Izzo did a couple years ago. Like it can happen, but I think banking on that in the regular season, banking on, you know, just catching, you know, first time head coaches or new head coaches, in their first game against the zone, whatever, like that, that only goes so far. And, you know, I think, you know, banking on like typical Syracuse shit, like for good or bad, like is a tough formula to follow over time, especially if SU is not going to change while the game changes. I mean, this is a whole nother conversation, but like, you know, the, the relationship between the zone and, and three point shots and how, you know, three pointers used to be at a premium in the college game would only be assigned to maybe a couple players on a roster. So, uh, the zone to be able to push the offense out, be able to force them to make shots, to take shots late in the shot clock um, with a select few three-point shooters. And realistically, as long as they didn't hit enough of those, um, SU could keep the middle of the, uh, keep, 
you know, the middle open um, and be able to create opportunities off that. And that would potentially create fast break opportunities as well. Like now what we're seeing is you've got five three-point shooters on the floor against the zone, um, three-point lines further out. Uh, We don't have a big man who can really shut down the lane. So if they're not going to just exploit, you know, the edges uh, of the zone, instead they're going to pass it inside where a big man is probably going to foul them and get them on the line or they're just going to run right by them. So there's, there are a lot of factors at play here and I'm not going to, like, I don't have the answers necessarily, um, but somebody should, um, especially like, like, again, I'm not advocating to, to get out of the zone or anything like that or, or depart from Bayheim, but I am advocating for somebody to try to, you know, maybe push us a little bit in a different direction. I don't know which direction that is to, to adapt to what's happening around us so that we don't suddenly see, um, you know, the rug come out from under us without like us noticing. Yeah. Just like fresh eyes, I think would be, would be a, a real start. I don't know, you know, who you replace or what, where you do it, but um, just something to get us out of like the rut here because, and, and we've talked about it before, like the tournament ultimately is like what matters. And that's, you know, it's like one of the best events in sports for a reason, but it also uh, kind of ends up making the college basketball season, like, kind of a weird uh a weird thing in that it, it doesn't always uh you know you have memories from it and you you take away the good and the bad and you have like fun with it but it doesn't always uh you know end up mattering too much which isn't the best thing for the sport i don't think um but especially for syracuse like you know you you, you can make the tournament and have a nice little run but uh i i don't think it's like necessarily the the best possible model like especially when when the seating suffers um because I think Syracuse have a lot more success, zone or not, if they were, you know, a three or four seed more often, like they were, uh, being a, you know, a seven to a ten, like you can pull an upstate here and there, but it's it's very hard to like consistently make deep runs. We saw that last year, like last year's team probably could have, if they had a, a, a different matchup or just had a better night, uh, or in Frank round Howard, one, or or the Frank Howard thing didn't happen right before, you know, they can beat Baylor. They they go maybe go on a little bit of a run, like that team had talent, but. It, it's hard to bank on that when you're like, well, we're going to limp through the the regular season. We're going to lose a bunch of games to ACC teams that see the zone all the time. Uh, and we're going to hopefully get in the tournament. And then there we'll, we'll, you know, throw out our magic dust and, and emerges as, uh, you know, in the Sweet 16. Like it happens sometimes. It probably happens for us from that position more than other teams. But, you know, sometimes you're like winning 19 games in the regular season and losing in the first round of the ACC tournament. And then, you know, then you're sunk. Um, and then when you're losing like this year, you're losing four games in a row to non-conference teams. Uh, you're really sunk. So, um, yeah, it's just, I, I'm not definitely not advocating to like switch everything we do, but I do think you need to, you know, I, I de- acknowledge as a program, like some things have just not gone correctly uh, and they've definitely been covered up a bit by, you know, the, the couple of weeks of success uh, in 2016 and 2018 and like find a way to, to, to keep those and then bring something back that can help you win games in February. Cause those do end up, you know, mattering when you don't get to the tournament. So yeah, it's frustrating. It's, it sucks to talk about because like we were on such a roll for so many years and Bayheim has been, uh, you know, be probably maybe the most consistent coach in college basketball. Like you don't want to criticize him too much because everything he's done has worked for like four decades. Uh, and you don't want to overreact to like a short period because we've had like weird periods too. But, um, you know, now that we're, we're we're nearing the end of his coaching tenure, at some point here, you don't want it to just like completely, you know, limp to the finish. That would, I don't think he he definitely doesn't want that, and I don't think anyone wants that for him. And then that puts everyone in a weird position afterwards. Yeah, it's a good point. Like Jim's a big legacy guy, even if he won't admit it. Um, and, and I do think he wants to go out, you know, with, with a little more fanfare than maybe you know, an NIT trip and, and who knows what else. I, I think you hit on a great point there too, um, just around how, you know, the, the zone is being treated a little bit of a, a magic pill when realistically, you know, it's not. And, and if it was a magic pill, then A, more teams would have done it. B, we would have won more championships. So like, I, I, I think that that it's a point well taken that, that maybe there's some things that can be adjusted and the zone can still be a large part of what we do, even if it's just not viewed as, as this cure-all. Um, but why don't we hit uh, some halftime? So uh, hear from our sponsor quick. And we're back. Talk a little bit about beer. Dan, what have you been drinking? 
Uh, I have basically not been drinking. Uh, I caught a cold that I'm like just now getting over. So I was pretty much, I don't think I drank at all this past week. So you're going to have to pass on me for the week. It's healthy though. It's for the best. Uh, Sometimes. I mean, it was, it was the right decision. I actually yeah. might've had like a, like something. I, I, I realized I, I definitely have drank this week, but it was not <laughs> exciting. It was probably like, it was probably like a, a standard, like something local that I have, you know, a million times. Uh, and I didn't even think to check in on untapped. Um, but Fair no, enough. it was, it was, I probably had like a beer here, or there, like one day during the week. Um, but no, yeah, generally I was getting over a cold, so I, I didn't go, uh, too crazy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, on my end had, uh, went down to Laguna beach beer company. I'm in orange County. I was visiting some friends. Uh, they actually had a couple of good beers. I'd never had their stuff before. They had a rain check IPA that they made with pizza port. Um, it was pretty good. They had a standing O, uh, IPA they made exclusively with Nelson hops. It was pretty good. Um, then I had some uh, Oscar Blues Death by Coconut, which is always a winner um, around this time of year. And then had the rest of the uh, Broward Rest uh, Space Crisp um, IPA that I'd mentioned last week. That was it. Nothing crazy. Um, Going to be in Minneapolis later this week, so I'll have, uh, have some new stuff to report. Yeah, I don't know too much about the Minneapolis beer scene. I feel like I don't hear too much about it, but I'm sure and it's Sur- there. Surly Brewing is uh, is like... The one that, like, I think gets out, like, that people know of, like, outside um, of Minnesota. And then there's, like, a couple others, like Free State. And then I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have some, I'll have plenty to report back uh, next Monday. Looking forward to it. Indeed. Uh, why don't we switch over to football? And we talked coaching for basketball just now. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about coaching for football. Uh, we don't know who's departing Dino's staff. We do know that uh, Brian Ward's gone already um, as of, you know, after the Boston College debacle. Uh, I put up an article last Friday just kind of talking about potential hires here and there, um, specifically focused in on defense coordinator uh, with, uh, you know, a handful of names. And then from there, um, just looked at kind of random staffers that we could add on offense and defense um, at positions to be determined. I feel like we're not going to hear much about anything except for defense coordinator um, until after the early signing period. Um, if that sounds gross, well, every there's plenty of programs that do it. Um, we're not, we're just not one of the programs that can just blow up the whole staff uh, before early signing period and not lose most of it. So don't be surprised by that. If the only name you hear is maybe the defense coordinator uh, before next week's uh, signing period, which is pretty early this year. It's on the 18th. Um, that's next Wednesday. So it's going to be kind of tough to get anybody else in the door, but maybe we pull it off. Yeah, it's it's tough also with like the head coaching carousel like in mid-swing. I think we're we're probably closing the like end of like the first wave here before the NFL starts messing things up again. Um yep. I know most of the bid jobs are closed. Uh BC is like the only P5 I think left, right? Mm, FSU still open, isn't it? No, they're hiring uh Norvell. No, oh, I didn't see that. That yeah. showed how much I was paying attention today. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Norvell's a good hire. guy there. It's, it is a good hire. I, I don't think I, I haven't. I was off the internet today because it was my day off. Um, I I doubt Florida State fans are that excited about it, but it should be pretty good. Um, and then USF made the really nice hire of Jeff Stott from Clemson, uh, which should be a good good hire for them too. Hopefully, they can go. Someone else can go get Tony Elliott down the line here, and then uh, see what yeah, Dabo does. Hire for us. Hire. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, granted, Dabo's not going to have any problem getting elite talent in the door, but. I feel like things have definitely ticked up since Chad Morris left, even though Chad Morris was a very good offensive coordinator. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd love to see less of the current staff on the Clemson staff. Yeah, I mean, the problem is Clemson, like, they kind of built the model that everyone tries to follow now where they uh, invest heavily uh, in their staff, and Dabo's been really good at that. Obviously, you know, he hit home runs with uh, with Morris and Venables off, you know, out the, out the gates as coordinator um and then Stott and Elliott have are, as you said arguably done better or at least like have more to work with um because of the ground that was laid so I don't doubt that Dabble will be able to go get who he wants you just have to hope that who he wants ends up being bad <laughs> which is, seems unlikely but it's all you can do um yeah so it's it's tough to know exactly like when the you know when the the rest of these jobs get filled probably right around early signing day uh, I feel like is when you start to see some coordinators um but it's it's tricky. The timing is just always very tricky. And then you'll probably see some position coaches that let go right after a lot of those guys sign because everyone in uh, college is really stummy, and that's just how you have to do it. 
yeah, I mean, there's really no, it's tough. Like, do you, do you screw over the program by, by making those, especially again, with, with the way the schedule worked out this year, where you had the season ending late on the 30th and then the assigning day on the 18th, like that's a very short window. Do you want to harpoon your entire uh, recruiting class? Um, Or like, you know, is it, it, it's unfortunate these kids need to like pay attention to this stuff, but like, if you're like, if your defense has been struggling for two years, then it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise that the guy, the defensive coordinator who recruited you uh, could be let go. Um, and I think kids maybe are more and more, um, you know, wise to this um, at this point. I saw today and somebody flagged me on Twitter. I will give them uh, credit. Who's dead? Derek Montreux, uh on Twitter told me that um, Nick Holt, the uh, defensive coordinator and linebackers coach over at Purdue will not be retained for next year. Uh, he worked with Dino at UNLV, uh, which is, I think, something to watch. If only um, Syracuse manages to not hit on one of the defensive coordinator hires I'm proposing here. Um, Dan, I'll just say kind of the six, I think five or six names that I had in here. And then if you want to just tell me maybe like the one or two you would prefer of those, we can kind of just talk through them that way. Um, I listed Brian Norwood, the co-defense coordinator, cornerback coach for Navy, um, Charlie Partridge, who's currently an assistant coach and defensive line coach for Pittsburgh, uh, Dave Huxtable, the former defensive coordinator for NC State, uh, Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach for Cincinnati, and Clayton White, the defensive coordinator at Western Kentucky, uh, would be the, uh, the six names that I had. I think it's six, maybe it's five. Nope, it's five. The five names that I uh, ID'd right off the bat uh, for defensive coordinator. I did that not just because of the fact that they were, you know, attainable. Well, I think attainability really, attainability and success were the two things uh, that I looked at. So for all the, you know, why isn't Charlie Strong on the list um, people, that's why, uh, because we weren't going to be able to hire Charlie Strong given uh, the demand that was going to be around his name versus these guys. Not that they're not in demand, but SU can actually be competitive salary-wise and give them a situation that they'll want to jump into. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty pretty interesting list. Like, all guys, you could see them realistically getting, which, which as you said, like, it'd be very easy for us to know, put together uh, a list of, like, you know, we we could know, I think I jokingly brought up Chad Morris after he was started from Arkansas. Like, we don't have to hire Chad Morris either. It's, uh, it, as much as I'd love to, it's just not realistic. Um I love the Brian Norwood possibility uh, and possibility like we don't know there's any like direct, uh, you know, sinking there from Baber's part on Baber's part. But you like he checks like every box you could think of. Um, Obviously, he's done a great job at Navy. He coached with Baber's at at Baylor. He went to Hawaii, Um, you know, so Baber's obviously knows who he is. Uh, he's, uh, you know, experience in, in a very, uh, recruiting spots that we like to hit. So it just makes a lot of sense on a lot of different levels. Um, and then the other one, um, and it's easy to point to, cause he's, uh, one of the former head coaches or probably the only former head coach on this list. Uh, Charlie Partridge, I think would be a, a really interesting hire. He was the head coach at FAU. So he has kind of a Florida background that you could kind of add to, uh, Nick Monroe's work down there. And then he's been at Pitt for a bit. Um, Pitt's defenses, uh, you know, have been up and down, but I think he's, you know, he has, uh, his experience there and, and some of those defenses have been quite good and, and definitely pulling a lot of talent. So, uh, I think he would be an interesting name to add for sure. And he knows the, uh, he knows the, the conference. Um, and those, I mean, if you have like Pennsylvania ties and Florida ties, like that's a pretty good combo for SU when it comes to recruiting. Yeah. I mean, th- that's really key at this point. I think that, you know, Florida ties, like we have Monroe. I'd love to have somebody else with a little more Florida presence in there. Uh, Partridge could be interesting. Like you said, Pitt's defenses are kind of hit or miss. I do like Norwood. The the complicating factor for him, if he is going to be joining up, is just the Army-Navy game. Um, people care about that game so much, that, uh, and, and rightfully so, that uh, unfortunately, like, you know, he wasn't going to bail before the Army-Navy game if he is bailing. Um so we'll see. I, I, I think Norwood is the clubhouse favorite among most Syracuse fans. I know myself, most Syracuse, uh, the new magician staff. Um, but I don't think you really go wrong with at least Partridge and, uh, and Norwood. And I think elsewhere, like I think Huxtable would be a decent hire, but not a sure thing. I think Marcus Freeman would be someone who would definitely leave for a Big Ten job. Um, and Clayton White seems like someone who could be on an upward trajectory and be interesting, but um, I like, I wouldn't be unhappy with any of those picks. 
no, I thought there was a lot to like on the list in general, and uh, just a kind of a very, uh, you know, varied experiences and and coming from different places. Um, so it, 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 at Syracuse, you can't really discount like the possibility of getting a, a if you get a Dolly Partridge who has head coaching experience. There's definitely a lot to that that to like, but also uh, getting an up and comer and turning things around is there's nothing wrong with that either. So um, yeah, it's just a uh, interesting all around uh and it, these are like i think it's way harder to predict this stuff than it is to like even head coaching searches like weird stuff happens no one was guessing uh like the arkansas hire until it happened basically but uh, i think hired george's offensive line coach if you could miss that um but like with assistance like so much of it goes back to uh, connections and previous uh, relationships and then also just like who meets who at the coaching convention in january uh just really random stuff so um yeah it, it's 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 kind of an exact science trying to figure out who might be on the list here without like seeing really established connections yeah and i want to emphasize like on the article in here too like this is not an exhaustive list by any means this is just a, a list that i you know came up with with some help from the folks on staff um based on connections based on who's attainable uh based on who's been successful this year um so we'll switch back over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, and again, you'll find some names that make more sense than others, but all of them are kind of like guys you could plug into position groups. Um, I think the biggest stretch here is probably Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, QB coach at UCF. Um, the only way he's coming in is if he's the offensive coordinator, as that would be Mike Lynch gets a, either released or gets a demotion. I don't think Lynch is going anywhere based on the fact that he's been on the recruiting trail um, a little bit. Um, Brennan Marion is kind of a the left field uh, pick. He's an offensive coordinator, QB coach at William & Mary, uh, could potentially plug in as a QB coach um, for SU if Kirk Martin goes elsewhere. Uh, Mackie McPherson, uh, everyone should be familiar with already. Um, he's over at Kent State as a running backs coach. Uh, if we brought him in, we'd probably bring him in uh, for the offensive line. Um, Andrew Souter, another Kent State guy. Um, he was someone who we thought was going to come along. Um, the initial group with Babers, he did not. And now he's actually Sean Lewis's offensive coordinator, um, I don't necessarily think he's experienced enough as an offense coordinator um, that I'd want to jump in to him as the job, but maybe if he did another split situation uh, with him and Lynch, that could be uh, potentially tenable. Um, Jabbar Jaluk, uh, somebody that went, that is at UL Lafayette and is part of one of the best running attacks uh, in the country this year. Again, somebody interesting. Uh, Bobby Wilder, who a couple people in the noon Slack have mentioned, former head coach at Old Dominion, somebody who we thought could be an OC hire um, or even a head coach hire um, at one point based on the Old Dominion stuff, based on the, the success he's had at Old Dominion. And then uh, Steve Adazio, um, the fired head coach of Boston College. Everyone knows Adazio from his time at Syracuse as well as his time at BC. Um, on the O-line, assuming he can maybe bring some uh, BC recruits with him, um, could be an interesting one. I feel like Rob's the line as much as I'd want to bring Mackey back. I feel like the first call is Adazio, and then if he says no, I think then then you go to Mackey. But I, I Adazio is an interesting one because I don't think the market's going to be that hot for him, and it could be like a potential like low key win that fixes an area of need really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get Adazio as your O line coach, and you probably give him an assistant head coach title, like that's a that's a slam dunk. Um, he's a, a good recruiter. He knows Florida. He knows the Northeast. Uh, he knows the conference extremely well. Um, he likes Syracuse a lot. Like his son went here for a minute. Like his, like he has a lot of affection for the school. So I think that actually gives you an edge in terms of like of of him maybe uh, coming here versus waiting it out and probably be able probably being able to get a, a bigger job or you know a same job at a bigger school somewhere down the line or even a G five head coaching job. Um, Wilder, I talked about last week. I would love that. I think he'll be a, a slam dunk hire. I don't know that he's like looking to be an OC somewhere, but if so, like I thought, he, I think he'd be great. Um, Jaluk's a really interesting name. He has Texas Tech uh, uh, experience in his background. He coached Leonard Fournette at LSU. He has like some really big, uh, big school coaching experience. Um, Mackey would be fun. Like everyone loves Mackey. He was great here. Uh, I, you know, he tried running back, so it'd be a, a bit of an adjustment. But I think. Um, you know, he's been moving up the ranks pretty impressively. He was at Louisiana Tech for a while, if I remember correctly. So it's not like he's just, uh, you know, got left Syracuse and didn't do much and would just be a, an alum hire. Like, he's been doing the work, to his credit. Um, and then Jeff Lebby was not someone I had thought of until I saw your article. But um, 
I mean, I think if you can go grab from that UCF staff, like you definitely do it. It's been good. I mean, even this year was a down year, but with what they've dealt with, with injury at quarterback position and just uncertainty there in general, like they've put together really, really good offenses. Um, Baylor ties probably help in terms of at least like someone that Babers would identify to start with. Um, and I, I don't think the Lynch thing, even if you keep them on staff, I don't think it's that much of a, of a hurdle if you just give them co-OC titles. Um, it's just not that big. I mean, we saw it like, Obviously, this is a very different situation, but like at LSU this year, they didn't demote Steve Ensminger. They he actually was part of the hiring process for Joe Brady. Um, you can do creative things with titles and and pay and whatnot, and and keep all the dice you need uh, if you're flexible and and creative with it. Yeah, and realistically, like you know, Lynch hadn't been like. I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Lynch had really been um, a standalone OC either at the previous stops with Babers. Uh, I think his first real, like, well, I mean, e- either way, his first big go at it was at Syracuse these past two years. And like Eric Dungey got to help cover up some of the play calling deficiencies last year, this year, not so much. Um, and then coupled with an offensive line that was struggling a lot. Um, I think part of the game plan got exposed. I-, I think that like Lynch could potentially do well handling one part. And then just like he was with Sean Lewis for the first two seasons at Syracuse, splitting duties with somebody else and somebody else who can make adjustments in game who, like can think a little bit more dynamically. It's not that Lynch was bad at every part of the job. I think there's parts of it just need more. And I think that Lewis helped both of them kind of reach their full potential while by himself, I don't, I just don't think he had the ability, the ability to like make all the adjustments needed. And I think you saw that in the play calling that was kind of uninspired at times uh, mid game. Once the scripted segments uh, went out the door and there were no, you know, um, two minute drill offenses and all that stuff uh, to mine. So I, I, I wouldn't doubt it if we see a co-OC um, situation, but you know, again, that, that's not really based on anything necessarily. So we'll see. Um, closing out just defensive coaches. Again, uh, I I'd be surprised if at least one new person didn't come in um, just because we're bringing in a new uh, defense coordinator uh, Vernon Hargreaves, linebacker coach at Missouri. Uh, Missouri is <coughs> not retaining uh, Barry Odom. A uh, bunch of guys from the current staff are probably headed out. Uh, Hargreaves uh, has Florida experience. He uh, went to UConn. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot there that fits with SU, and obviously, be great to address the linebacker situation. Uh, Raymond Woody is another one who I don't think, to be honest, of, of all the guys on here, I think is the least likely. Um, because he's worked under Willie Taggart for so long as an inside linebacker coach on Florida State. Uh, he's probably going to end up, um, you know, joining Taggart. I think Antoine Smith uh, is an attainable one, uh, defensive tackle coach for Boston College, Syracuse native, uh, somebody who could potentially head back in this direction. And, you know, if Adazio comes as the offensive line coach, like it could be really interesting to bring a couple BC guys that might actually help us um, gain some quick recruiting leverage on a couple guys that we were uh, in with, with the Eagles. Uh, Jeff Coons, I think is another one. That's probably a stretch. Um, the linebacker coach of Old Miss at Brady Hoke in here. Uh, mostly because I don't necessarily like, maybe he's living out the boomer dream and just like hanging out in San Diego and then just, just chilling. Uh, but, but I feel like Brady Hoke might want to move up a little bit. Um, in stature again, in terms of jobs. So we'll see on that one. Um, Chip Vaughn, secondary coach at Air Force. Uh, again, I noted he's somebody that has DMV ties. He's an ACC guy, went to Wake Forest. Uh, there's definite um, benefit to bring him along. And then Jarek Hall, um, who coaches the interior line at Navy, uh, would be somebody who um, you know Brian Norwood would potentially bring along um, should he be the hire. Yeah, I think a lot of this just depends on who the DC hire is, so it's hard to know. Like you said, if Norwood is hired, he could definitely bring his own guys. Um, I want to know, and I don't think he's realistic. Uh, I had no idea Brady Hook was coaching defensive line at San Diego State. That's incredible. Yeah. He's coaching a position at his former head coaching spot. Like, that's incredible. That's just... I just think he doesn't give a shit. No, that's definitely what it is. Good for him. Like, (laughs) he wants to coach something. He wants to be involved. His wife wants him out of the house. And so he's he a coach of the defensive line. At, yeah, he wants to. He was only there for what a year as head coach when yeah, he was there. Like, I think it was like two or three. Thought he was like Ball State for two. I thought it was, and a was like SDSU quick, for like uh, prom- Let's find out. I'm looking it up now. I, I could have sworn it was really quick. No, you're right. He was there for two. So I thought it was actually one. 
which would have been which because I remember it was just a very I loved, stop love the beach so much he was ready to ready to head right back. Look, I, I don't I don't blame him. Like you're gonna make six figures to coach a defensive line at San Diego State. Like I assume with a certain level of athlete that school sells itself. Like if you're if you're not getting Pac-12 offers, but San Diego State comes through, like that can't be that hard a recruiting job. <laughs> I don't so, understand yeah, how no, it's not I, a better. I don't know how it's not. I mean, we discussed this before. I don't understand how it's not a better job in general, just because I think I, I've been there. Like there's there, there, you don't have to sell anything. I've been saying it, it's like one of the, I went to San Diego as a, as a kid. It's breathtaking. It's unbelievable. Um, perfect weather. Like you don't even get those, those Campus really awful beach volleyball courts. Da- <laughs> it's absurd. Um, yeah. So I don't think we're pulling him from there to Syracuse. If he doesn't really have huge aspirations for progressing through the coaching ranks again, which it does not seem like he does. Um, uh, beyond that, like, I, I think Smith is interesting. I mean, he'll, he is done to be looking for a job. Does Adazio doesn't seem to have any real head coaching prospects that we know of. Um, so he'll be available if we want him. Uh, I, and I think BC's generally been pretty good up front. Uh, so that's definitely a move that's realistic. Um, it's hard to know, uh, like, uh, Mr. Coach, um, who's just fired. Barry Odom. Who, I think his name is oh, yeah. like five minutes ago. Barry Odom might get oh, the yeah. Memphis job, which is a weird, a weird thing, uh, a weird fit um, in general. But he could bring yeah, Harvey's along, so it's hard to tell. It just doesn't make sense for like Memphis has been like Fuente and Norvell made sense. Like that was a very seamless transition. Like they both had very similar identities um, in terms of like what they like to do on offense. Going and then hiring uh, defensive coach after that, after like Who the was only fired. time you've ever been good ever. Yeah, like yeah. I and the I don't think it's a bad fired. coach. Like, I don't, yeah, just the optics of it are very different than hiring Fuente and, and hiring Norvell. Although Norvell like, was a weird you, one too when he was hired. Like, it, yeah, it, it, it made a, sense you bought in, but it wasn't a clear cut choice. No, I agree, but you can kind of see what they were going for. I don't know why you then go to the defensive coach when like Memphis was so bad forever. Like, I would just keep it rolling with the Yonder OCs. Like, that just. That's me. I'm not an athletic director, though, so it's not my call. <laughs> Retread yeah, defensive mean, coordinator seems those, like a bit a weird fit. Yeah, it's not one of those situations where you like where you fired the guy and you go, okay, we have to go in the opposite direction. This is one of those situations where, oh, we've been doing really well on offense. I mean, the only way this works is if Odom is that they save on Odom, and then Odom has more money to work with to hire a really good offensive coordinator. Yeah, you do like a, a hypo UCF situation where like yeah you, which obviously he was he was hired actually away from Missouri weirdly, um he wasn't on staff under Frost but like they UCF decided like this is the type of coach we want we're gonna go grab one and hopefully he'll stick around for a couple more years and we'll just recycle and that's what Memphis really kind of did with Norvell it's just I don't know it's he I don't think he's been hired yet uh but it just a weird fit from the jump and he's like the only guy that's been talked about there. Um, obviously Memphis is the Cotton Bowl that Norvell may or may not coach in. Uh, I assume Florida State will want him to not coach in that. Um, but just a weird situation overall. But as it relates to Vernon Hargreaves, it's hard to know like how many of his guys from Mizzou he'll be bringing over, which is a weird situation when you're fired. Although, I guess when you're going from the SEC to the AAC, you can kind of sell it better. Yeah, I mean, that's really the big thing for like a lot of these. Any, any P5 job on here, it's either somebody was fired or... Like we're giving you an upgrade in title. Um, I don't think anyone's making them. There, there's there's not a whole lot of jobs you could sell lateral move to um, from like any of the P5. And, and SU is not the only school in that boat, but there are there are very few jobs that would really like facilitate that sort of change. I feel like Kansas, not even Rutgers, maybe Oregon State are the only ones like maybe jumping at the chance and, and I don't know, like Wake Forest perhaps. Um, and I, even then I think that's a lateral move. So I, yeah, to, to double down on my point, any job, anyone with a P5 name on here and someone whose coach has been fired. Yeah. Otherwise, like you said, the only way to really do it is if you're like going to pay and it's hard to know what Syracuse's assistant coach pool is like. De- definitely not what it should be. Proud, not if not what needs to, to be like really make a, a game changing move, but we'll see. I mean, if we go and hire some giant gaudy defensive coordinator, then maybe something weird happened. But uh, working on the uh, assumption that it's the same, 
it's been since we all remember it. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, you're going to look for younger guys. You're going to look for guys looking at new situations, guys who were just fired, trying to, you know, get a foothold. And that's fine. That is what it is. It's it's, it's how, you know, probably a third of the P5 at, at least is uh, in the similar boat. So yeah, hopefully it totally work because they can totally work because what happens then is you have a bunch of guys coaching to make sure that they not just keep this job, but get their next job. And it's not to say that the, the previous approach didn't work. It obviously did last year. Um, but you could have a, a quick influx of, of improvement because you have a lot of guys that are really like chomping at the bit to show something. And, and yeah, not, no offense to Syracuse, New York, but maybe they don't want to live in Syracuse, New York very long. And, and they know that the sooner your group improves, the sooner you're the hell out of there. Yeah, we've seen a uh, a lot of weirdly uh, successful head coaches come through Syracuse, so you can definitely get talent. Uh, go ask Nick Saban or Jim Tressel or Urban Meyer or Ed Ogeron or whomever else has been on staff at SU for uh, various amounts of time. Um, you can definitely get good coaches there. Whether or not they stick around is a problem for literally every program, but uh, I think that's the, the fascinating thing about this. We haven't seen Babers have to make large-scale staff changes at any point um, I mean, you you probably have to go back to him actually building a staff at Eastern Illinois, and that's a very different ball game. So, um, obviously, the season, as we said, like during the year when we knew staff changes were coming, it's like unfortunate it came to this. But uh, if there's, a, I wouldn't call it a benefit, but if there's like something interesting to come of it, it's getting to see Babers in this different part of the job uh, and see how he handles it as head coach, where he's handled pretty much everything else really well. So, um, we will see uh, we'll see how this goes and and. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, get a nice revamp staff and get a, a, a hot end of the recruiting season here. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else on your list for today before we uh, depart? No, uh, I, I should have predicted that Eli Manning was going to come out and throw a bunch of touchdowns at the Eagles, and guess what's happening? Yeah, that's right. My New York, I don't really give a shit about the Giants anymore. <laughs> but I'll take it. And honestly, I, 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 the fact that I have more joy in this, uh, the fact that the Eagles could lose and like screw up a very winnable division. Like I, I'm much more happy about that than I am about anything involving the Giants specifically. Yeah. But then you're handing it to a bad Cowboys team. I don't know that you like that anymore. It's just all well, yeah, shady, but then they're just stomped to hell down. anyway. Yeah. They're going to get That's stomped true. to hell anyway. So yeah, e- either way there's going to be like either Cowboys fans miss the playoffs and they have panic or they get to the playoffs and then they, you know, open up Jerry world and act like, um, you know, they, 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 they're Kings among men. And and then they get stomped to hell by the Niners, the Seahawks, the, Seahawks, the Saints, probably. somebody. Yeah, Seahawks. And that's what I mean. Like, to, to me, it's, it's a win. That's fair. The I Eagles, on the other hand, there's like pesky bullshit that can happen. Dallas, there is no such pesky bullshit. That's true. Like, we know if the Eagles get to the playoffs, like, all bets are off. They're like Syracuse in the tournament. Like, all bets are off. You don't want to see them. <laughs> exactly. Glad we're on the same page here, Dan. <laughs> As a Packers fan, I on don't that, feel like great after beating the Redskins by five, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, on that note, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, a bunch of other places. Uh, SU's got Georgetown this weekend. So obviously, um, feel free to make any and all jokes you have on the matter and go orange. 942 and Georgetown still sucks.